morning, church. Our reading this Advent Sunday is taken from Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 17. And there are a lot of Hebrew names in here, so we're going to bear with me as we make our way through this. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, not Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thanks Mel. Meg, sorry, thanks Meg. (laughs) You got a hundred names right and I can't even get one. That's a good start, isn't it? (laughs) So please keep your Bibles open. I'm going to be testing you on those names later. Um, For those of you who don't know me, I'm Graham. I've been coming here for about eight years. Um, And I'm going to pray before we start. Lord, I thank you for your words, and I pray that you will speak to us um, as a family today. Lord, I pray that what is of you will stick and bear fruit, and what is um, just of me will fall away. Amen. So it's the first Sunday in Advent when we look forward to Jesus' coming. Uh, This is a classic Advent reading. It's good that we have a um, kind of series of readings, otherwise I doubt that that would get read out particularly frequently. Um, So if we look at the passage, um, apart from a load of complex names, some of which you may or may not recognise, what do you notice? And I'd like to pull out three things about this passage. Um, The diversity in names, the messiness... Um, of some of the family relationships here and the fact that it speaks of God's uh, grace and his faithfulness 
throughout generations, ultimately pointing to Jesus. And this is our, if we look at this, this is our family. These are our forefathers and our foremothers. So we're looking at the family of God in the past here. And the diversity is interesting. In genealogies at this time, you would usually just have men because men were the important ones um, and they were seen as kind of uh, as, as how you just trace your genealogy um, in the history books. In this passage, we will see five women mentioned. And that, for a start, is unusual. We see um, verse three, you have Tamar, then you have um, Ruth, you have Rahab, um, you have Bathsheba, and also Mary. Now, it was very unusual for the women to be included, showing even from the start. I mean, you may not call that the most diverse um, genealogy, four out of about 40, but actually it's significant in itself. But also, all of those women, apart from Mary, were foreigners. You had Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites, Ruth was a Moabite, um, and Bathsheba was married to a Hittite, so was she seen as um, a Hittite herself, so was seen as a foreigner. So automatically, we see in Jesus' genealogy, we have um, women and we have foreigners. And that is speaking to the Jewish nation who were the chosen people, having women and people who weren't Jewish included speaks volumes to the diversity and the inclusivity of that um, of our family of forefathers and foremothers. So it's diverse, but also this is a very messy family. Usually in your family tree, you might kind of, you'll see some family trees where people who kind of disappeared or went off and did strange things would just be kind of surreptitiously removed from the family tree and be completely forgotten about. Here, um, Matthew has deliberately included all of, well, not all, but many of the warts, many of the kind of the things that we uh, probably prefer to keep hidden in our own family tree. So David, um, I mean, David, obviously a key person, but um, we know that he arranged for Uriah to go and be killed in battle so that he could sleep with his wife, Bathsheba. We also um, know that um, Tamar and Rahab, included, are um, prostitutes, um, which would immediately cause people reading them to judge them, to see them as sinful, as outcasts, and therefore really um, second, third, fourth-class citizens. And the interesting thing, reading the commentaries, most of the male commentators will focus on the fact that um, Rahab and Tamar are prostitutes. But most of the male commentators, probably from quite comfortable economic backgrounds with stable families, will focus on their dubious moral character of these women. But if we flip it around the other side, women in uh, these times would have had no choice. So you would have had a situation, people didn't choose prostitution because they wanted that as their kind of career choice. They would have been ostracized. They would have had no family to look after them. They would have no other way of surviving. So actually, if we look at this, um, it is showing more of a deeply sinful system that is ostracizing different people, ostracizing women, ostracizing foreigners, ostracizing those who didn't have power, who didn't have money. Uh, And even fascinatingly, I read one commentator who who called um, Bathsheba an adulterer. 
Now, David, if you know, had thousands, well, thousands, hundreds of women. David called Bathsheba to come, and she had no choice, otherwise she would have been killed. And so actually, it is, it is fascinating when we look at this, so the, and the way that we look at this, and actually, looking in the past, you have to see that um, the inclusion of these women is actually, it's partly showing the messiness, but it also shows my third point around um, this passage speaks of God's grace and, grace and his faithfulness over time to um, our forefathers and our foremothers. Including the messiness shows that God is about transformation. So including um, Rahab, including Tamar, including Bathsheba, it shows that um, he is seeing them as worthy of being part of the genealogy, the most important genealogy in history, that they have been included. So he's not seeing them ultimately as sinners. He's seeing them as forgiven. He's seeing them as equal as, as his daughters, as his sons, as people who are being restored um, and worthy of this greatest honour. So that's on an individual level. And actually, if you look at it in the kind of broader historical terms, the whole genealogy is pointing towards Jesus. From Abraham, the promise of Abraham that God would bless him, bless his um, descendants, and through his descendants, bless everyone. And then we see Jesus coming and making that, um, through his death on the cross, making that blessing available to all of us. So we see this diverse family who are our forefathers and mothers we see the messy family, but we see a family that shows God's faithfulness over time. So that was in the past. What about now? What about us as our church family here in Peckham? And I think it's very clear that the same points apply. We are diverse. God celebrates diversity and difference. Peckham is one of the most diverse places in London, which is, one of the, which is the most diverse city in the UK. And many of us chosen to come to All Saints for that reason. We are a diverse and a family when we have differences. But also, we are messy. As our forefathers and foremothers were, we as individuals, we as a church, are messy. We are a work in progress. We all have sinful attitudes and behaviours. None of us is perfect. And we need to see that in ourselves and in each other. But that's not the end of the story. God is faithful. God is working through us to bless us and to bless others through us. Our mission is to point Jesus, to point people in Peckham towards Jesus. And we have that calling. God is working through us to do that in Peckham and beyond and with all saints around the world. Um, fantastic, the work that we see in other parts of the world. And as we see from God's promise to Abraham, he is blessing all people through his people. So... I think that's quite clear from the passage, but what does it mean for us in practice? And we have heard a lot over the last year or so about issues of racial justice, racial injustice, but I really want to look at this passage, look at how we as a church engage with racial justice through this passage. Um, how should the church respond to these issues? Um, and we've started this journey together, but what does it mean? And there's really two points that I want to make um, this morning. And thank you for all the people I've chatted through um, about this. My sermon has gone on quite a journey this week, even yesterday afternoon. <laughs> so um, bear with me and we'll see where it lands. But the two main points are that we as a church have to be unswervingly committed to tackling racial injustice in all of its forms. 
That means we are a church that includes everyone, we celebrate our diversity, we need to change, and we need to stand up against racism. My second point is how we do that really matters. How we do that in a way that is different or that is distinctive as a family who follow Jesus. And that is really important. So on my first point, looking at diversity, um, it's not controversial. God embraces diversity, celebrates difference. It's not contra- well, and it's not news that this hasn't been the experience of many, many people in the church now and in the past. And I'm also aware that speaking about racial injustice has been a harsh and, and an exhausting reality for many brothers and sisters of colour in our congregation. Um, in recent months, they have often been talking about things they've experienced through their lives, and that whereas people like me have been playing catch-up, this is just kind of it's going through things that they are experiencing. Um, and I'm also aware for many people that as we've had a big focus on racial um, justice, the people who are feeling excluded for other reasons are also feeling that their voices aren't being heard. Whether it's class, living with disability, whether it's... Um, Uh, being a woman, whether it's all of these issues, there are many ways that people can feel excluded in church. So this has been painful for many people um, over the last 12 to 18 months in our church. Um, So, and it's, it's also, it's been bittersweet, and I know that many people are struggling to dare to hope that things may change, and exhausted by this, um, But we as a church, we know we have an image from Revelation 7-9 that we often have shared. Um, The image, it says that after this I looked and there before me is a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, people and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. Um, And that is an image that I think to really hold on to as we work together to make that a reality. So God's plans for his church are to have a diverse, inclusive church that speaks of, um, of who God is. But it's not just about diversity and inclusion. It's, it's, actually, it's, about, it's about putting things right. God, who is working through his people, working through his family, is a God who is putting things right here on earth. And we've started tackling these issues. We started tackling racial justice within our church. And we've taken the first steps, and there is a long way to go. Um, this was involved, will involve standing with people who have been mistreated and who've been excluded, as well as changing structures so that this won't happen again. How we make decisions in the church, what pre- who's preaching, what preaching looks like, what worship looks like, what welcome looks like, it will change all of who we are and how we do things for the better. Um, and the question here as I think we've, um, sometimes we kind of, in discussions I've had outside and inside the church, the question here isn't, am I racist or not? The question is, now that I understand more about how my brothers and sisters of colour have suffered and are suffering, what will I do about it? So, I don't think anyone is accusing others of necessarily being racist. But actually, now that I know more than I did a year ago, how am I different? How am I going to change? Now that I know more about how my brothers and sisters of colour, different backgrounds, different cultures, 
are experiencing church, are experiencing life, what am I going to do differently? Um, Will I speak out against racism when I see it? Will I tackle institutional structures? Um, Or will I sit back? And one example that I've seen this week, or we've seen in the last few weeks, which has inspired me, has been of the cricketer Azim Rafiq. Cricketer in Yorkshire, who's the whistleblower on racism that has been riddling cricket, uh, particularly in the Yorkshire um, team, over a few years. Um, And he's called it out. And some of his former teammates have simply come out and said, what we were doing was banter. We kind of, we didn't mean any harm, but it was just banter. Kind of, don't have a go at me, I'm not racist. Others have apologised, others have gone deeper. And then interestingly, um, Azim Rafiq was then found to have, when he was younger, um, uh, been, I think it was tweets, had, had kind of, or shared images, anti-Semitic images to his family. And what did he do? He came out and he said, that was completely unacceptable, I, I regret that, I'm not the person now than I was then, and I've learned from that. And so, for me, those were two completely different responses. So he's a whistleblower who has suffered institutional racism and also had the grace to say, I've got it wrong, I'm not perfect, I'm going to learn now. I have learned now more than I knew um, 10 years ago or however long it was. Whereas others have said, just don't bother me, it was all a bit of banter, we're all doing it, it's all fine. And I think that is the challenge to us. It's not, we're not here to point the finger. Um, But actually, now that we know, or many of us have woken up to what is acceptable now in terms of how we speak about race, what we do, understanding the structures, how would that make me different in terms of who I am and how I will will act? And as I said, it will involve the way we are as church, um, the welcome, the way we do meals, the way we do small groups, the way we include people, what we speak about, um, who we're speaking. It involves change. But a change that will celebrate, will bring the diversity, will bring the skills, will bring the difference that we see here before us, and we will all be richer for it. And actually, the onus here is on white people to change. It's on all of us, but there is an onus on us as white people. Those of us who benefited from our privilege. I'm standing here before you as a white middle-aged man. I have, so, I have triple and many more privileges in the way I've grown up. And I admit I've been blind to some of those. Some of you won't have had all of those. <laughs> Women, if you're, from a, um, if you're um, more working class, if you've... Um, uh, so I recognise that I am who I am, but I've actually realised that privilege. And the devil can make me feel guilty about this. But actually, the Holy Spirit will convict me of anything I need to repent for, from, but will actually spur me on to change myself and to change the community I'm part of. So when we're talking about these issues, a guilt that um, I think that the kind of that stops us, that disempowers us, that makes us look inward, is not from God. God is a God of um, repentance and forgiveness, but a God of hope and a God is seeking change. So none of this should be controversial. We've heard it various times. Um, and we are called to 
to engage with racial justice because of our faith. We're called to do this because Jesus created us equal, because he created all of us to enjoy life to the full, which all haven't been. And when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. So we've started together, and we've got a long way to go. So that was my first point, that we are unequivocally committed as a church to tackling racial injustice, to including everyone, to celebrating diversity. If you're still with me, my second point, I would say final, but it's a long final point, is that how we do this matters. And I think we've come a bit unstuck in the past few months in church, and we need to get back on track with... um, We need to get back on track with treating each other as brothers and sisters. We are God's family here, all saints, in Peckham. And I think we have have fallen a bit into some of the challenges of the early Corinthian church, where one was saying, I follow Paul, another saying, I follow Apollos. We all follow Jesus. And we are God's family here in All Saints Peckham doing that together. So I think we need to get back to not taking sides. And it hasn't been easy, conversations on Zoom. It hasn't been easy in lockdown. The relationships that we usually have have been strained in different ways. But we're all messy. We've all got things wrong. Um, And we're all works in progress. And it's interesting, this, thinking about Christmas, if we think about our own families at Christmas, we might be thinking about who comes for Christmas dinner, where do we go for Boxing Day, who's invited, who isn't it, do we bring in, the, um, do we bring in that tricky auntie, do we bring in the kind of grumpy dad, what about the daughter who doesn't really want to come back, or the kind of that cousin who is a, is a little bit strange that nobody really wants them to be in. And I think we never give up on our own family. I think Christmas is the time when we really, I mean, if you go outside of the church, often when you say, what's Christmas about? If you, people will say Christmas is about family. I mean, we know Christmas is about Jesus coming to transform his, his world. But ultimately, family is such a key part of that. We'll never give up on our own earthly families. What about our spiritual family? What about the family that we have all been adopted into? We shouldn't give up on each other. Now, that's not to say we're all going to get on equally with every member of our church family. That's not going to say it's going to be easy or that we won't have any difference on how we tackle tricky issues. Um, It won't mean that um, we sweep under the carpet ways that we've been hurt or that we've been excluded. These are realities, and I'm not saying that we have to ignore any of these realities. But we're here at All Saints because we've been adopted into God's family. We've chosen to make this our church family in Peckham, to be good news to the community around, and that is our calling. So we have to get back to see each other primarily, I think, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So it matters how we see each other as brothers and sisters. It matters how we speak to each other. I work in a Catholic development organisation. We're big on Pope Francis, and... One of the things that he has spoken about a lot is a, what he calls a culture of encounter. And that culture of encounter is where we meet not to win arguments, but to understand each other and to be changed in the process. 
This isn't about compromise or meeting in the middle. It's not about saying, you're both of your views are equally valid, let's just kind of have some fuzzy compromise. Because actually, we know that we are here tackling racial injustice, we are here bringing justice, inclusion, and celebrating diversity. But it is about meeting. It's about meeting and understanding and ultimately being changed in that process. Jesus was the master of encounter. He sat down with people who were very different. He sat down with tax collectors and sinners, with Pharisees, with children, with his disciples, with all the, who followed him. And they were all changed in that encounter of sitting and listening and engaging with Jesus. And our encounter should be pointing people towards Jesus. And they should be where we expect to be transformed. So I travelled to Colombia a few years ago and went to the border with Venezuela, meeting refugees and migrants who were coming over the border. Um, I had many preconceived ideas about why they were coming, what they were doing, who they would be. But it was only when I met people like Christophe, like Laura, like Felipe, and others like them, did I really understand their situations. Some were fleeing from political persecution because they'd voted for the wrong person. Others were coming to look for medicine because they couldn't find the medicines for their young children. Um, young 19, 20-year-olds were coming to, find, to get education, to get a job, because they saw no hope in their homeland. Um, and it gave me a, very, a completely different and a very personal perspective and a whole different range of stories. No two were the same. Then speaking to the Colombians who were receiving the Venezuelans on their side of the border... Um, to give them food and shelter. Many simply said, we're doing this because these are our brothers and sisters. They've helped us in the past. They're our brothers and sisters in need. We are speaking to them. We are helping them. So those encounters that we have, encounters bring us closer to people. Encounters make us see each other as human beings, as brothers and sisters. They make things personal. So... Our church won't be the same after we've implemented the recommendations for the Listening for a Change report. It will be better. We will better represent um, the diversity in Peckham. Everyone will be included. And I think actually looking at the Listening for a Change report and the recommendations on um, diversity and inclusion, you actually, um, obviously the focus on that is on racial justice. As we start discussing the barriers and the ways different people in church are feeling, that will affect all of us. Not just those who have been excluded because of racial injustice, but those who have been excluded because of um, whether all sorts of other issues, whether it's living with a disability, whether it's age, whether it's kind of background. The way that we deal with racial justice, racial injustice, is actually going to define us in many ways as a church about how we reach out to all sorts of different people and we are all and it's it's the kind of it's the big issue that we are dealing with now but it actually will change so much more than just issues of race within our church and i think i would want to encourage those who maybe have felt as though their voices haven't been heard because we've been focusing a lot on racial injustice so i actually think that this actually what we're doing as a church is going to change us for everyone 
And I think that is, I think it's, it's a struggle, but it's going to be really exciting. And there are workshops coming up to discuss how we can change. I went to one on preaching and teaching. I met some great people and had some really interesting discussions. There's others on worship, on welcome, on services. Please join them. Please discuss the issues in your small groups. I read I, one book that really helped me was um, our own Ben Lindsay's book around we need to talk about race um, in church. And actually, it's really good. It deals with the issues, but it's around conversation. It's about different people within churches bringing in very different perspectives and talking about how we change as a family. Um, for um, And I think they're still the church is still looking for people to be involved in the snappily titled Racial Diversity and Belonging PCC subgroup. So if anyone, which is actually, it's the group that is going to be responsible for driving forward the kind of recommendations and how we need to change. And the, the idea is that it's kind of part of the PCC. It's a key issue going forward amongst kind of, and there are, I mean, it's not the only issue we're dealing with, but it's kind of a key one that is being driven forward. So my final point um, is, as we are looking at these issues, it's, it is tempting to despair. It's tempting to kind of withdraw, but we need to keep our hope alive. It's difficult. I read a post by somebody in my line of work that said, I've just had another conversation about racial justice. I'm exhausted, um, but I know we need to continue. The temptation for those of us who are a bit late to the party is to think that something will change quickly because now we understand the situation. Uh, but we've got that luxury of engaging and disengaging when we choose. We don't live with the daily experience of discrimination. But I think the temptation on the other side, those who've lived with experiences of racism and discrimination all their lives, see us playing catch-up, I mean, they can be, you can be forgiven for thinking, not wanting to raise your hopes, for thinking, we've seen this before. And be wary and sceptical of change. Nevertheless, hope is a Christian characteristic I worked with an organization in Peru for a number of years called Peace and Hope, Paz y Esperanza. And I remember we, used, we dealt with issues of human rights abuses. And we'd often go on marches, and almost all of the other organizations would say, they say, ni olvido ni perdón, we won't forgive, we won't forget. And I just remember thinking within this um, that actually, as soon as we decide, the group people decided they would never forgive, then the hope was gone. And so, and I was thinking, what, we, what were we doing as a distinctively Christian organisation? We fought for justice. We, we were part of the groups who took the former president to, um, to court, and he was the first one in Latin America to be convicted. But we never gave up hope that things could change. Um, are you sitting there? Because I'm way over time. <laughs> so, keeping hope alive. We are coming to the end. Um, so, this leaves us with a challenge um, as we look forward to Christmas, to the coming of Jesus, who will put all things right. And I think many of you, you are going to be having very different reactions to this or experiences or coming at from different perspectives here in our church family. So, for some of us, I think the question is, do we need to be clearer and more uncompromising in our commitment to racial justice? Others... Do we need to repent of where we've been complicit and we've not spoken out? Others, do we need to repent of where we've been too quick to judge others um, and condemn and assume the worst of our brothers and sisters?
Do we need to seek reconciliation, forgiveness? Do we need to come to God to ask for a refilling of his spirit to keep our hope alive? So I'll ask the worship band to come up. And if any of those questions or things that you I've said at the end or throughout resonate with you and you want to bring where you are to God to recommit, to seek repentance, to seek um, hope, then I'd ask you to stand now before we start our worship and we'll just have a moment um, before God bringing whatever is in your heart towards him. And remember, this is, this is not just you and God. This is us as a church family coming together before him. And I will just say a prayer to finish and echo it in your hearts if this is where you are. Dear Lord, please change us as a church family. Lord, help us to help me to see my brothers and sisters as just that. Help me to keep my hope alive that you are changing, that you you are changing the situation, that you are intervening. Lord, help me to encounter and meet my brothers and sisters here. And Lord, may you, through us, um, tackle uh, systems and structures of racism and discrimination that have kept brothers and sisters here excluded and isolated. And Lord, may we uh, be a beacon of hope to those within our church. May we be an example of working together to make change. And may we be a beacon of hope to those who are outside as well. Amen. Amen.